This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. From Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect, and this is Land Stories, with me, David Seawick. Each episode explores a different topic, such as the people, business, neighborhoods, communities, buildings, and other phenomena that make up the history of our college and our region. We tell stories, and in doing so, we connect the past to the present. Several years ago, I was asked by Lansing Community College to put something together for a walking tour of the campus. And being a person that likes walking, and also somebody who at that point had taught history with a pretty good local focus uh, when and where possible for a number of years at the college, I got really excited at this. I thought, wow, this would be a great opportunity to throw a little bit of history into a tour of the beautiful campus of Lansing Community College in downtown Lansing. And so about the same time, I happened to come upon an archive of what turned out to be about 9,000 photographs that had been scanned in to the college by our marketing department. Um, At that time, a few years prior to my endeavor to embark upon an information piece for a more formal tour of the college campus. And one of the things I discovered in looking through those archive photos was not only how the college campus had grown through the years and its location in downtown Lansing, but also there's a real sense that came through in looking at those photos that the growth of Lansing Community College's campus, which has really been from basically about 1960, mid-1960s on, It was part and parcel to a lot of the overall changes that were happening in downtown Lansing at the time. And those changes, in turn, were part of broader trends across the state, across the nation. So, in this episode of Land Stories, we're going to look at the history of Lansing Community College, the physical presence of it, right in downtown Lansing. And in doing so... Let's look at a couple of the interesting points that come into mind when it comes to where Lansing Community College's campus development fit into some broader trends of the time. And the the two trends I'm referring to specifically, one of them is a local trend, and that is the change in downtown Lansing during the, we'll call it the third decade of the post-war era. So that would be from the mid-1960s on. And then second of all, that's tied into urban renewal. Urban renewal being the uh, more than just the buzzword, but it, it tied into a lot of federal programs and state programs in the United States, beginning really in the late 1950s, that Lansing Community College would ultimately be substantially impacted by. The history of the college starts really in 1957. 
Lansing Community College was started as a vocational technical school, which a lot of the community colleges, not only in Michigan, but across the United States were. And its founding goes back to April of 1957. And part of it is the endeavor of the recently uh, deceased Philip Gannon. Dr. Philip Gannon is the founding president of Lansing Community College. And the work that he put into the founding of that college really started while he was a graduate student at nearby Michigan State University. And, and Dr. Gannon had an absolute uh, fascinating life and left his impact on uh, really the mid-Michigan community and I would argue the state as a whole on countless numbers of lives, actually, in terms of all those folks that were fortunate enough to attend Lansing Community College and, and earn certificates and degrees and accomplish transfer programs while they were there. That, you know, few people actually have, I think, in the grand scheme of things uh, in life. And, and that's really one of the things that makes the, the founding of a college, this is what Dr. Gannon was part of, uh, is something that's so remarkable. But 1957 is the year that Lansing Community College started a presence in downtown Lansing because, as we will see, Lansing Community College has been in downtown Lansing uh, in one form or another, and it's been a pretty big form since the college was founded. So 1957, where did Lansing Community College exist in 1957 in its founding? And, well, the answer to that question takes us to Capitol Avenue. So imagine for a moment you're standing with me on Capitol Avenue in 1957, and the part of Capitol Avenue you're standing on is the 500 block. And you're staring at this uh, red-colored building, red brick building, that has floor-to-ceiling windows and occupies the better part of an entire city block. And that block is bound by going clockwise, Shiawassee Street to the south, Seymour Street to the west, Genesee Street to the north, and Capitol Avenue to the east, which is where we're standing in our imaginary look at downtown Lansing in 1957. And the building we're staring at was the first building uh, built by the Lansing Public Schools for use as a high school. And it was built way back in the 1870s. And in fact, that building itself came to be known as Old Central. It, by itself, will be a focus of a subsequent episode of Land Stories. So keep on tuning in to when our program is broadcast and when it's archived in uh, podcast format. And you will uh, definitely be interested when we get that show up and running here in a little while. But for now, we're going to look at 1957. And the building that we are staring at right now, even though it was built in the 1870s, by the time 1957 rolls around, it really looks nothing like it did at the time. And for those of you who are wondering right now, well, I think he might be talking about the same building I remember as Old Central. Well, indeed, you're correct. I am. And for those of you who have been around Lansing for a while, uh, you know Old Central well. It was the building that Lansing Community College started in. And indeed, it's because that was an educational institution in its very physical form, the building itself, that big red brick building that stood there that was around at the time that Lansing Community College was able to use it to hold its first classes. And it had an administrative presence in there as well. 
Now, that building, again, it looked a lot different than it did when it was built in the uh, 1870s. And by the time Lansing Community College got a hold of it, the main differences were mostly a result of a, of a substantial remodel and expansion of that building that the Lansing Public Schools had done way back in the beginning part of the 20th century. Lansing Community College did some more remodeling of that building. And that building uh, and the college's acquisition of it outright in the 1960s is very much the foundation by which Lansing Community College would come to expand throughout the downtown Lansing area. Now, let's look across the street then from that Capitol Avenue building. And again, we'll step back in time in our imaginary time machine and we will focus on 1957 as we're looking to the other side of Capitol Avenue, that would be the east side, we see some old houses that line the street, a couple of which are still on Lansing Community College's campus, one of which is the Rogers Carrier House, the other which is the John Herman House. The Rogers Carrier House is a red brick building with uh, sort of the color of tarnished copper, uh, wood ornamentation on the uh, front and side gables as well as some of the window trim of the building and it is a Darius Moon architectural gem in downtown Lansing. Darius Moon was a very well-known architect in the Lansing area. He designed a number of historic properties in the area. Probably the most famous house that he designed unfortunately doesn't stand anymore. That was the mansion that Ransom Eli Olds had built for his family in the heyday of his uh, pioneering automobile industry contribution that he made through the founding of the Olds Motor Vehicle Works, which really became Oldsmobile. And then the longest legacy he had in Lansing would be in the form of the real motor car company, which existed in one form or another till the 1970s. And now the building that we call the Bolgi Tower in downtown Lansing. Well, that was a Ransomy Olds financed construction uh, back in the late 1920s, early 1930s. But the building we're looking at right now, designed by Darius Moon, for H.M. Rogers, who was a local realtor. He uh, had that house constructed in 1891, and it was used uh, by the college after it acquired it in 1967, furiously as a bookstore, as a location of the college foundation office, and also as uh, the location of offices for faculty and staff in the college campus. That house that's still on Lansing Community College's campus, as well as the house next door to it, the John T. Herman House, these are going to be the focal point for the remaining part of our radio walking tour of the campus. So we're going to walk a little bit further south, right next door actually, to the John T. Herman House. We go and it is right next door to the Rogers Carrier House. The Herman House was built just a couple years after the Rogers Carrier House, built in 1893, and John T. Herman, of whom the house takes its name from, was a local tailor. He ended up having a, a very prominent role in the Lansing business community at the time, is well known, and the construction of his house tells us that he did quite well with his business endeavors. That house was acquired by the college about the same time that the Rogers Courier House was acquired, both in 1967. And 
just as the case with the Rogers Carrier House in the 1980s, Lansing Community College students, as well as local contractors, worked on restoring the house. It was designated as a historical site in 1987, and then the house more recently has had some necessary renovations done to it as well to keep it standing, and it currently stands as the house that the Lansing Community College president lives in. And I like to think of that house as sort of the kind overlooking property of the area. And perhaps it sounds a little bit odd to affix a emotional quality such as kind to a house, but it just has a stately look to it. It faces Capitol Avenue and behind it sits the Shigematsu Memorial Gardens, as well as the rest of Lansing Community College's campus. And it therefore serves as a a nice gateway into the beautiful college campus. So, carrying on with our radio walking tour, we are going to walk onto the property of the John T. Herman House. We're going to walk around the south side of it, and we're going to enter into the property through the beautiful Shigematsu Memorial Garden. That memorial garden was built in the first decade of the current century, and it is named in honor of some uh, folks that were involved in a program that Lansing Community College once had with a business and educational institution in Shiga Prefecture in Japan. Shiga is the sister state, if you will. They're called prefectures in Japan, roughly the same equivalent as a state in the United States, to the state of Michigan. It's a beautiful garden, and if you're ever on Lansing Community College's campus, I strongly encourage you to take a stroll through it, especially in the summertime when the koi are swimming around in the pond, when there's a nice little gentle breeze blowing through the garden, and it is a very pleasant place to spend a few moments contemplating the, uh, the connection of the natural world with humanity's never-ending attempt to, in some way or another, influence it. From that point on, we are going to walk a little bit to the east, not much, just a couple hundred feet, and we're going to encounter the first major construction project that Lansing Community College endeavored to embark upon on the college's campus, and that would be the Arts and Sciences Building, which was built in the 1960s. This is really where the overall picture of Lansing Community College's campus takes place in terms of taking the shape that it would now and being impacted by those two broader state and national trends that I mentioned towards the beginning of our episode here. One would be the changes in the development of downtown Lansing throughout the 1960s and beyond, what I think we can definitely consider to be part of a national trend, which is urban renewal. And in fact, it's the construction of the Arts and Sciences building, the time frame that it happens in, why it was put where it was, and why it ended up looking like it did, actually, that in many ways tells the story of Lansing Community College's role in Lansing and in Michigan in the 1960s. And we're going to have to take our story back a little bit to Dr. Philip Gannon, 
as I mentioned a few moments ago in our episode here. Gannon was the president of Lansing Community College at the time the Arts and Sciences Building was constructed in the late 1960s. And just a couple years before the construction of the Lansing Community College Arts and Sciences Building uh, was nearing completion, the state of Michigan passed one of the most important pieces of legislation that it had ever passed. And that would be the Community College Act of 1966, Act 331 of 1966. This is a very important act because what it did is it enabled community colleges to organize themselves into districts that were funded by a combination of property tax millage, just like a public school district is, as well as tuition and other state and federal monies, just like a university is, and as the funding sources for a community college was, was and still is a blended model between how a public K-12 school district is financed and how a university is financed, so was the case with the blended model of governance that the Community College Act in 1966 authorized. So community colleges in Michigan are very much governed and funded as a blend of the model that the K-12 districts in the state use as well as the model by which universities use. And that makes our community colleges here in Michigan a really unique asset that we have. They are community assets, and they are funded by the community that they exist in and the community writ large when you look at the availability of students to attend those colleges and pay tuition, as well as the state and federal funding that they receive. But the reason why I'm mentioning this act right now is because when the Community College Act of 1966 was passed, it caused the community colleges that were already in existence at the time, such as Lansing Community College, to reorganize their governance structure along the same lines that this act enabled them to do so. And that meant the election of new boards of trustees and the uh, administration of the funds through these various funding sources. So out of that, the Lansing Community College Board of Trustees is looking at its enrollment in the 1960s, and it decides that it's time to build a new uh, instructional building on the campus. And that building ultimately took form as the Arts and Sciences Building, and construction of that building was nearly complete by the time we get to 1968. But the context by which that building eventually takes its shape in is the really crucial part to the story in many ways. And as I mentioned again towards the beginning of the episode, the construction of the Arts and Sciences building is a good thing to focus on because in many ways the building itself is kind of a microcosm of what was going on at the time. Downtown Lansing, by the time we get into the 1960s, was undergoing some of the same challenges to other downtowns throughout the United States, not only in cities the size of Lansing, but cities that were also smaller and those that were much larger. In the 1960s, to 
make probably the most important point in somewhat of an overly simplistic summary, um, it was the time of suburbanization. Or I should say the expansion of the time of suburbanization, which has actually started, um, well, even before the Second World War, but really we, did, we generally associate with that starting in the 1950s and then continuing right on through the 1960s and beyond. So 1966, when the Community College Act is passed in Michigan, we're very much at the height of this trend towards suburbanization. And if you look at where most community colleges ended up building at this time, they built out in the suburbs. And Lansing Community College, had history worked out a little bit differently, might have ended up that way. But the college leadership at the time ended up doing something that was really quite remarkable. When the college realized that their enrollment figures and the projected enrollment figures for the coming years and perhaps even the coming decades was going to necessitate that the college put together a strategic master plan of what its future would look like, including its physical plant. In other words, the buildings, the other physical assets that make up the college campus was to be located. The college decided to send a survey out to the residents of what would become the community college district. And in that survey, they asked residents of the Lansing area, the mid-Michigan area, to choose from a series of proposed or possible locations that the college would be able to build a campus at. One of the options in that survey was downtown Lansing. The college at the time was operating in some buildings that already existed in the area that is the college campus now, but had reached the point where it needed to really build a campus of its own rather than acquiring uh, buildings that were already there that weren't necessarily purpose-built for what the college was going to use them for. So the survey went out to residents of the area, and the most uh, common selection that the people who took the survey made out of all the options that were given to them was to keep the college in operation where it already was in the buildings, and that is in downtown Lansing. So at the time when you had community colleges being built or expanding out in the suburbs, I think of places like Oakland Community College, Macomb Community College, Kalamazoo Valley Community College, uh, just to name a, a few of more that I could offer, Lansing Community College ended up expanding its footprint right in downtown Lansing. And it's the process of that expansion that brings Lansing Community College and its physical presence into line with a couple other trends that were going on at the state and national level at the time. At the state level or the local level, downtowns were undergoing a dramatic change during this time period. Prior to the Second World War, for example, most of the retail districts in communities were in the main streets or street corridor in the downtown area. And so Lansing, for example, had its main shopping district or retail district that went up and down Washington Avenue. 
Washington Square, as it's called in places, right in downtown Lansing. And what happens is, is after the Second World War, the United States falls deeply, madly, probably permanently in love with this thing called the automobile. Of course, the automobile had been around for quite some time by then. The first automobiles were experiments by uh, European inventors in the latter part of the 1800s, and then American inventors about the same time, a little bit thereafter. And by the time we get into the 19-teens and the 1920s, we have giant industrial corporations like Ford Motor Company, General Motors, to name but a few, that have built the automobile into a really, really important consumer product. After the Second World War, prosperity was the name of the game in the United States. It was not a prosperity that everybody shared in, economically speaking, but nonetheless, enough people did that the consumer purchase of the automobile proliferated, and cars need roads to drive on. And when people have automobiles that they want to use for doing things like shopping, there has to be roads that go to those stores, and there has to be places to park those cars. So in Lansing, during this time period, the 1950s and into the 1960s, the retail corridor that had been Washington Avenue or Washington Square in downtown Lansing for a long period of time starts to be abandoned for the suburbs or places that aren't quite out in the suburbs but are getting kind of close. In Lansing, the Frandor Shopping Center is built in the late 1950s, uh, named after one of the main major post-World War II property developers in the area, a gentleman by the name of Francis Core, And the Francis Core uh, Company is who developed Frandor, and it's called Frandor because Francis Core and Doris Core, Francis's wife, is who that shopping center is named after. And this isn't a history of Frandor, but the reason why I mention this is because the draining of the retail corridor in downtown Lansing had a profoundly transformative effect on the city. And it is out of this that downtown Lansing is faced with something of a real uh, turning point in contemplating what it's going to look like in the next 10, 20, 30, or 40 years. Communities across the state and across the nation face the same uh, contemplative moment. And this is partially where urban renewal comes into the picture here. Urban renewal is a terminology that is used to describe a variety of projects that were done in the post-World War II era with the uh, expressed intent of renewing or in some way redeveloping urban environments that had fallen on hard times or were deemed to be under some sort of distress due to changing economic conditions, such as, for example, the draining of retail corridors away from central city districts, such as Washington Square and downtown Lansing, and out into more suburban outlying areas. So it is out of this broader picture, then, that the residents of the Lansing Community College District selected downtown Lansing 
to be the place by which Lansing Community College would expand. And the first major project to be part of that expansion is indeed the Arts and Sciences Building, which was built in the late 1960s. And as I'm recording this episode, I am staring at what is an absolutely fascinating picture, and I shall do my best to describe to you what it looks like. I'm looking at a picture of the Arts and Sciences Building under construction in 1968. It is a lovely color photograph that captures uh, the life in a day, if you will, a moment in time in a way that, that good photography, be it be good because of the technique at which the photographer utilized, or good because of the subject matter that it covers, or both, is something that oftentimes does this. And in the lower left-hand corner of this lovely photograph, there is a sign. The sign is indicating the construction project, what financed it, and what was going on. And it is a, a moment in time that is captured that shows, well, it shows funding that is being used to pay for the building. It shows local contractors that were hired to construct the building. And it also shows vehicular traffic able to move through what is now the pedestrian mall in downtown Lansing. And the Arts and Sciences building abutted Washington Square, Washington Avenue. Now, it's hard to imagine walking through the campus of downtown Lansing, which is very much pedestrian-friendly and not intended for the automobile to go through. In fact, one cannot drive a car legally uh, unless it's for purposes of construction or, say, the police officers that drive their cars around it, the Washington Mall through Lansing Community College's campus. That was close to pedestrians in the mid-1970s when another major development in Lansing Community College's campus came about. Back to our photo. The Arts and Sciences building is nearly complete in this photo in 1968. The construction sheds that were built over the sidewalks, both on the Shiawassee Street side, that would be the south elevation of the building, and the Washington Square side, that would be the east elevation of the building, are still there in this photo. But the concrete and brick facade that is nearly unchanged now in the year 2022 from what it was back then has completely taken form. The building's windows have been installed, its roof is in place, and it is nearly ready to embark upon its position as the anchor of 1960s and into the future redevelopment of downtown Lansing and the outward forward-thinking progress that that building came to symbolize as part of Lansing Community College's growth and development into the future. That will end this episode of Land Stories. Next episode, we are going to look at the construction of Lansing Community College into the 1970s and how that would continue to play a major role not only in the redevelopment of downtown Lansing, 
but also in the lives of the tens of thousands of students who would attend Lansing Community College. For now, next time you're walking through downtown Lansing, take a stroll on the Lansing Community College's campus. Notice the, by now, 140 years of history that the buildings in that campus encompass. Stand on the corner of Shiawassee Street and Washington Square. Look up at the Arts and Sciences Building and imagine what the future in 1968 looked like. Not only for those who were working on the finishing touches of the construction project, but also for the students. The students at Lansing Community College in an endeavor to make their future a better place, and what that building says about what that future ended up being. You've been listening to Land Stories with me, David Seawick. For more information on this program and to stream past episodes, visit lccconnect.org. LCC Connect is the official home of the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College, offering hours of original and exciting programming. Hosted by faculty, staff, and community members, LCC Connect explores our college's work in the community, important topics in higher education, and our vision for the future. Catch the vibe on 89.7 FM or online at lccconnect.org. Until next time, remember, keep telling good stories. Keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College students now have the option to go beyond an associate degree through LCC's University Center. The University Center is a partnership between LCC and five four-year universities. Located on LCC's downtown campus, these universities offer junior and senior level courses, leading to more than 30 bachelor's degrees, several post-baccalaureate certificates, and options to obtain a master's degree. Current and former LCC students can take advantage of the convenient location at the corner of Capitol Avenue and Shiawassee Street on LCC's downtown campus. To find out more about the University Center, visit lcc.edu. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom, but a little over a year ago, we realized she couldn't take care of herself without our help. And well, how could I not be there for her? I had no idea how hard it would be and just what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and even for me, ways to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics that got me started, but also information about the hurdles I was facing in this new role. I could even connect with experts and hear from others who had been in my place. I know this road we're on isn't an easy one, but I'm really happy to have the extra help for her and for me. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. This message is brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply transfer credits towards their LCC degree, certificate, or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash you belong.
LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. It's time for another edition of Equity. Equity is a play on words spelled E-Q-U-I-T-E-A because I just love sharing knowledge over a good cup of tea. Equity is designed to provide you, the listeners, with tips on issues surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion to enhance your everyday life. Today's equity topic is entitled Being an Upstander, Not a Bystander. Have you or someone you know ever experienced harassment, including intimidation, looks, staring, vulgar gestures, the victim or been a victim of a microaggression comment, or perhaps you've experienced racism, homophobic, sexism, or transphobic slurs? Did anyone come to your aid? Did anyone speak up against these harmful acts on your behalf? If so, they probably demonstrated the behavior of an upstander. According to Oxford Dictionary, an upstander is a person who speaks or acts in the support of an individual or cause, particularly someone who intervenes on behalf of another person. In other words, an upstander is someone who recognizes when something is wrong and does something to make it right. Let's take bullying for an example. When someone is bullied, an upstander will see it and hear it, and then they will act on making sure that correction is made. Oftentimes, we see a bystander, which the definition for that is a person who is present at an event or an incident but does not take part. In essence, they don't do anything to stop the cause or harm on behalf of the other individual. Those are the two differences between being an upstander and a bystander. Now, I know it can be difficult to know when to do something when you see injustices happening. So here are five ways that you and I can be an upstander, not just a bystander. Number one, do something. Stand up and take action against any form of injustice or harassment or bullying on any kind. Uh, Standing up means that you're going to, um, might be a little afraid at first, but making the difference on behalf of someone else is being a difference maker. Uh, Imagine that individual probably feel uh, alone and, and fearful. You speaking up for them will cause them to have the courage that they need to get through that particular moment. Number two, give affirmation to the person being harmed. Make sure you acknowledge, I see you, and you're not alone. Let that person know who's experiencing the injustice that this is not right and you're not in this by yourself. Number three, try your best to de-escalate and redirect the focus away from the person that is perpetrating the incident. And in fact, uh, think about ways that you can question that individual. Like, do you know what you're saying? Do you know what you're doing? This is wrong. Speak up and have the ability to de-escalate and redirect the situation. Number four, Advocate for help. Support the person who is being bullied or having an infraction dealt upon them. You can offer several different resources for them to allow them to know that there are resources available even outside the situation. Number five is document. And this is key. Go ahead and take another sip of your equity right there. 
It's our ability uh, to act on behalf as an upstander to help document the situation. Take time to write down your best recollection of what just inspired. This might be helpful for that individual should they need to file any legal reports or police findings regarding the incident. Remember, being an upstander is going to take courage, is going to involve all of us taking action, being assertive, being compassionate, as well as taking leadership. I know all those things seem a little bit uh, scary at first, but it means that we're not going to just stand by. Remember, the definition of an upstander is someone who intervenes on behalf of another person. And so today, here on Equity, I want to encourage you to be an upstander, not just a bystander. We hope you will join us next time for another edition of Equity. And this is our way of sharing some good knowledge over a good cup of tea. Go ahead and take one final sip as we address issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion to enhance our everyday life. We'll see you next time. Keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. Students may apply for scholarships November 1st through January 31st. Learn more at lcc.edu slash scholarships. Welcome to Arts Connect at LCC, an arts hub of LCC events open to the entire community. Coming up, Summer Stage Under the Stars returns to LCC's outdoor amphitheater in the center of the downtown Lansing campus this summer with two free plays. In June, Romeo and Juliet, a contemporary take on Shakespeare's beloved tragedy. And in early August, Wiley and the Hairy Man, a family drama. Also part of Summer Stage this summer, but it'll be indoors in the Gannon Commons, is Dance Lansing, the last weekend of July. These are just a few of the great things in the mix. Explore all of Lansing Community College's abundant arts activities, academic programs, and more and experience the power of the arts to connect. Visit lcc.edu slash artsconnect for dates, times, locations, and links. Featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that help to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hey, hey, hey. This is Lisa A., and you're listening to Who's That Star on LCC Connect at Lansing Community College. Who's That Star is a behind-the-scenes show where I sit down and talk with the employees at the college. This is an inside look at LCC where you will have a chance to learn about their passions, projects, what inspires them both at work and in their personal lives. I'm your host, Lisa Alexander. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to all the people who make LCC great. 
This show is for you to get to know the people that work at Lansing Community College a little bit more and see what makes them tick. Are you ready? Okay, let's go see who's today's star. Today on Who's That Star, we have double the fun. I wanted to showcase a very important role here at the college. This role assists many areas, and we are looking for more people to fill this role. In this role, you have the opportunity to explore different areas of interest, learn how to work in a team environment, and gain new skills. Are you wondering what this role is? The role I'm talking about is student employees. I'm so glad today to introduce you to two of our student staff in academic advising. Are you ready? Today on Who's That Star, we have Nicholas Lane and Khadija Dahir. Welcome, Nicholas and Khadija. We are so happy to have you here on Who's That Star today. Thank you for having Thank you. us. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Wonderful. So what we're going to do is talk about the student employee experience and learn a little bit about who you guys are and what your goals are after you leave LCC, because I think you guys are getting ready to graduate, right? Yep. Yes, indeed. All right. So we're going to start first with Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas was our first student employee that we hired since we came back from remote work. So we were excited to have Nicholas. He came and saved the day because it was hard. You don't really know how important a role is until you don't have it. And so, Nicholas, I wanted to talk to you about what it is that got you excited or got you interested in applying for a student employee? Um, one of the main reasons that I wanted to apply for the student employee job was because um, before COVID, um, every time I would come into the Gannon building, uh, I would see the Career Center open and I was always greeted with open arms and smiles uh, by people that were working in the Career Center. Uh, so when the opportunity presented itself, I thought it was, you know, a great, great position to be filled. Okay, Khadija, I'm going to ask you the same question. What got you interested in student employment? Um, for me, uh, I was always on campus. Even if I didn't have class, I would just come here to um, have like a nice space to do my work. And then I figured that I'm here anyway, so I might as well like do something to fill my time when I'm not doing anything. And then obviously Nicholas was here and he told me about his job and I was interested, so I applied. Okay, so you and Nicholas knew each other before working at the um, academic advising? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, how did you know each other? Oh, we were classmates in the early college. Oh, okay. So you also were students in the early college. So that means that you were doing high school and college work at the same time. Yes, ma'am. All right. We're going to explore that a little <laughs> later. So I'm not going to try to get off track, but <laughs> I'm excited because I think that, you know, just showcases that there's a lot of different opportunities for students, you know, on the LCC campus. So, Nicholas, did you find it difficult to apply for a student position? Uh, no, it was fairly simple. Um, as obviously, because of COVID, not a lot of people um, were coming back in person quite yet. Not a lot of people felt comfortable. 
Um, so there wasn't a lot of competition when applying. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> so did you were you did you come in the building? Did you do it online? How did you? Apply? Um, I did it online, but I talked to people at the Star Zone about how to find job postings and such, and they directed me uh, to the LCC website and how to find where to apply. And then uh, I just applied online. All right, thank you. So, Katija, did you have to... I'm jacking your name up, Khadija. I don't know what it is. I got tongue twister or what, but I apologize. You're fine. So, Khadija, did you have to submit a resume? Uh, yeah. So, within the um, online application, there is a spot where you submit a resume and a cover letter. Okay. So, had you had that done already or did you? was that something that you had to create for this job? Um, I had one done. I just had to, like, touch it up to um, fill in, like, things I had, like, completed after I made it. after I made my resume and then I just added things in there and then submitted it. All right. So it sounded like it wasn't too difficult of a process. Right. So Nicholas, did you have an interview? I did have an interview. I had an interview with uh, Marcy Fur and Rebecca Soa. Now, was this your first job? No, I've had a job at uh, the YMCA for for a long time. I was a lifeguard. You kind of prepared for... Uh, what the process was. Yep, I've been through through multiple interviews, uh, so it didn't feel as nerve-wracking as I thought it would be. Okay. What about you, Khadija? Was this your first job, or had you worked before? Um, no, I've had two jobs before this, um, and then I wasn't too nervous during my interview because I had met Marcy a little bit before my interview, and she was, like, really, really nice. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a good experience. Okay, I'm going to ask this question of both of you and we'll let Khadija go first this time (laughs) um what are some of the tasks that you had to do in your job working in academic advising um so we have to basically answer phones and schedule appointments for um academic advisors for students that want to meet with them and um we also do career advising appointments okay so did you did you find that you got an opportunity to work with the public I did yeah um there's so many different people that attend LCC, so just um, being able to see them and, like during drop-ins and, mm-hmm. and like answer their calls, things like that, that was very interesting. Yeah, I, it, it's, it's interesting to me. So, Nicholas, what about you? What, what skill do you think that you learned with being a student employee or you improved by being a student employee? Um, definitely the biggest skill that I've gained is how to um, be efficient on the computer. Um, before I wasn't as tech savvy, but okay. because of this academic advising job, um, we have to be working on the phone also while entering in information over the over the computer. So multitasking and, and really learning how to use everything you have, especially when uh, Internet connection is not working. Or OK. Trying to be resourceful when, when right. things aren't going your way. You learn some skills about how to problem solve and, Mm -hmm. you know, things do happen. So how do you work around those and do those things? And that's why I really think student employee positions are really important for, you know, character building and and teaching you. But it also gives you that experience because a lot of our students who've left academic advising have went to other jobs on college campuses in this experience that they've had. It helps them. So I wanted to ask you both. How is it working and going to school at the same time when you're, you know, student employee, you're in college? How how does that work for you? Either one of you can, either one, it doesn't matter. Go first. I think this is actually my favorite part about being a student employee because um, everybody here like understands that you're a student first and they actually enforce that for you. 
um, everybody works around your schedule as a student and your personal life. So you're never going to have like conflicts with um, testing and things like that. Everybody respects that you have um, prior other priorities besides your job mm -hmm. and everybody's understanding of that. So um, I've never actually had any like scheduling conflicts if I needed to leave for like an emergency or I just needed like extra tutoring or something. My employers were very understanding of that. And that's what I really like about being a student employee here. Oh, thank you. Not that I make the rules or anything, but I think it's good that you could do that. Okay, Nicholas, about you, like, what do what do you think? Was there any hardships that you thought to being a student employee? Um, no, not necessarily. I think I think the the merging of the two are very seamless. Um, not necessarily are all of the days that we work um, as busy. Right. So there are some days where I could be waiting for a phone call and doing homework or getting ahead on reading, things like right. that. So I think the student employee position allows you to um, remain a student while also getting paid to be a, to work. Well, I definitely um, think that being a student employee is one of the, I love student employees, right? Because I like messing with y'all and <laughs> I like to, you guys keep me, you know, in the know like what if I say some something that's old? Most <laughs> of the student the student employees will look at me and roll their eyes and be like, uh, "Lisa, no, that is old. You don't say this. You don't say that." But I just I enjoy it, and I think I see the value in it, and so I think it's so important. So I'm glad that you guys came and took the time to talk to me about the employment of you know being a student employee. But what I really want to talk because I'm so proud of both of you, right? I really think that you guys are great students Thank and you. I think that you know I, I'm so excited to see what you do when you get out into the world and after you get your degrees and things and so Khadijah I want you to give me a little bit of information about who Khadijah is talk about where you came from how you ended up to get into LCC and what you're gonna do when you leave LCC okay so <clears throat> Um, I went to Okemos High School, and then after my sophomore year, um, I applied to the early college at LCC, um, and then that's how I started coming here. First semester of the early college, we kind of just were in our own little bubble. We were doing, like, high school classes, and then after that, we started doing um, regular LCC classes, and I really, really enjoyed that experience. I really felt that, like, um, it was a necessary like change of environment environment for me from high school. Um, and yeah, so I am graduating this semester with um, an associates in transfer studies. Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta celebrate that. <laughs> Thank I'm you. super, super proud of that. Okay, Thank go ahead. you. Um, and then I plan on going to University of Michigan in the fall and I am studying psychology. And I plan on becoming a psychotherapist in the future. Oh, wow. Wonderful. So I'm in uh, social work, uh, clinical social work. So you probably or you may be giving me a job one day. So yeah, I'm make sure to keep you in your job. good graces. Uh, <laughs> remember me, Khadijah. I think that's wonderful. Um, U of M. What made you come to that decision? Um, mm, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it was 
probably one of the best schools I got accepted into and it's close to home, not too close, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a wonderful, you know, wonderful school. I'm, you know, I'm pro MSU all the way. Yeah, we know. <laughs> every day. But I, I do recognize, you know, M- U of M is a good school and it's a, everybody's not getting into U of M. So I just want to know that that's a great accomplishment and I'm super proud of you. And yeah, so thank you. Thank you for coming to today, Khadijah. Thank you for having me. All right. So Nicholas, I want to, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to tell me how you got started or how you came to LCC. Uh, you can tell me a little bit about your program and where you're going to transfer to, and what your goal is. Definitely. Um, It all started when my sister actually went to LCC. Uh, I went on a visit to the campus with her, and I found out about the early college program in about uh, late of my eighth grade year. And um, I thought it was a great opportunity for me, and not only for me as a student, but also as a student athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting ahead on college definitely cuts down on the cost when you go to university. So in my sophomore year, I, I applied. I was on the wait list initially. Um, luckily, I got in. All right. And um, I will be graduating this semester with an associate's in pre-professional health studies. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. Yay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think we have to recognize these great, great, great students. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I forgot to mention I, do, I went to East Lansing High School. Um, I will be transferring to Johns Hopkins University to study neuroscience and play lacrosse. Oh, you're going to play. Now, what was the sport? I'm sorry. I got so excited I covered it. What was it? (laughs) That's all right. It's lacrosse. Lacrosse. Okay. And are you going to play when you get to Johns Hopkins? Yes, ma'am. Oh, wow. So you're going to be playing sports, going into a difficult program, Mm -hmm. and you're going to be far away from home. Where's Johns Hopkins? In Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, wow. So that's going to be exciting. It's going to be a major change. Mm -hmm. But one thing I can say is that I think you both are prepared for your journeys when you go to your four-year institution. I know LCC has great classes, and once you are able to make it here, you're able to go and be successful wherever. And so I am going to be one of our alumni coming Thursday, right? Because that's when you graduate. Mm -hmm. And then you can come back and you can tell us about your careers and all the wonderful things that you're doing. I just once again want to thank you both for coming on to Who's That Star today, but also all the work that you did in academic advising to help us get back from the pandemic, you know, help students get access to us. And so it, we're going to be sad to see you go. Do you guys have any parting words? Enroll in LCC. Please. All right. And become a student employee. Hey, Please. okay, that $5 I'll give y'all later. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thank you again. Um, today on Who's That Star, we had we talked about student employment and how it is such a important role at the college. I want to again thank Khadijah and Nicholas and come back next week to find out who's that star. You've been listening to Who's That Star? I'm Lisa A., and you can listen to this episode of Who's That Star and other shows from LCC Connect anytime online 
at lccconnect.org. Thank you for listening. Catch me next time to find out who's that star. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.